Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about First Baptist Church of Silva, please visit firstbaptistsilva.com. I am the Reverend Dr. Jeff Mathis. I was ordained to the gospel ministry at the First Baptist Church of Asheville in 1999. For the last 20 some odd years, I have served congregations. And I must confess that I am guilty of using prayer as performance art. Guilty as charged. Let there be no mistake, I am the Pharisee in this story. Now, that's not altogether a bad thing. Of course, spoken like a true Pharisee, right? Oh, I know. The Pharisees get a bad rap in the Gospels, and for good reason. Pharisees, along with Sadducees and Essenes and perhaps several others, were Jewish denominations, so to speak, of the era. And the Pharisees, which means literally separate ones, were devout. They were pious. They were loyal, faithful children and servants of God. Now, I don't think that Jesus chastised the Pharisees for their sincerity and good intentions. No. I think he was saddened by the Pharisees' lack of love for their neighbor and their sense of judgment for those who were not like them. Think of it this way. If the Pharisees were the student body president and the star high school quarterback and everybody's all-American, then the tax collector was the sellout the social pariah, the one that nobody wanted to be with in the cafeteria. A million years ago at my high school, we had a commons area. This big open flagstone, nice windows looking out at the mountains, and along the four walls were benches. There was one for the freshmen. It was a small pitifully sad bench. There's the sophomore bench, a bit larger, the junior bench, and there was the bench reserved for the seniors. Took up the entire wall. The commons there was where you proved your worth to others and showed off your great social prowess. It's where the funniest among us held court. Everyone laughed at their jokes. Those who looked good in particular outfits, they would strut. Those who were sharp and thoughtful, they were on display there also. In Jesus' day and age, the temple in Jerusalem was the main stage. We remember, of course, that the temple was the highest point in all of Jerusalem. So all those psalms about going up to Jerusalem and to the temple and to God's house, God's presence. They were being literal. The temple was the place to be, particularly the place to be faithful. It was where you went to pray twice a day, in the morning and the afternoon. It's where you offered sacrifices. And there, 
off the main area was the Holy of Holies, the place where God's very presence resided. Using the temple as a backdrop, Jesus tells a story about a hero and a villain. The characters, as we know by now, are the Pharisee and the tax collector. Luke is the gospel writer who records this story, and he does a a fantastic job of telegraphing Jesus' plague here. He tells them up front, Jesus tells this story to those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Love that line. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Literally, righteous means right with God, worthy of God, correct. When we try and prove our rightness or our righteousness and our worthiness, it's called self-justification. You know the story well by now. The Pharisees' prayer is quite the performance. God, I thank you that I'm not like the other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, give a tenth of all my income. Mm. That's a good prayer. Now contrast that with the tax collector's prayer, which is, well, sad. Standing far off, wouldn't even come close to where everyone else was praying, wouldn't even look up to heaven beating his chest, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Couldn't be different, more different, right? Night and day. The Pharisee's prayer is a show. And it's a good one at that. I mean, put this prayer on Broadway, y'all. It's meant to be heard by others and to prove his righteousness. Look what a faithful individual this person is. I love how the prayer proves his righteousness by process of elimination, by conveying who he's not, like that person, or that person, or that one there, and this one, I thank God I'm not like them. By today's standards, we call that a humble brag. It's also shaming. Hashtag blessed. (laughs) We get it. The Pharisee's gone beyond what's expected of him as a child of God, but he's not thankful. (laughs) He's weaponized the prayer to be mean and judgmental. And here's the truth. I'm this guy. I am. I'm a sucker for applause. When I was in seminary, I went to a a very competitive academic institution, and we learned very quickly that you could be rewarded by your thoughtful question in class or that particularly moving prayer in small group or Maybe you'd be invited to preach in chapel, to be up there in that pulpit where all those great ones had gone before you, and to preach and to proclaim. And what would happen is if you were good, 
there'd be a kind of call and response. People would go, hmm, oh, Mm. Yes, it was like we were eating at Grandma's house at Thanksgiving. Mm. Mm. I am guilty of crafting prayers for effect and calling it ministry. You know, I've been doing it for a long, long time putting way too much energy and effort into trying to be a a poet prayer to call down heaven and earth to to leave the audience I mean congregation impressed and out of breath with spiritual ecstasy I mean this is what vocational ministry looks like right I've got to give the paying public their money's worth right It's understandable to be a bit defensive about our prayer habits. There's merit to pushing back against Jesus' critique of our intentions here, though it proves the point that we've all got some Pharisee in us. But as I reflect on this story here and Jesus' teachings about prayer, I can't help but to ask some questions. I mean, truly, are, are public prayers supposed to function as testimony? As witness? I mean, if others see us praying, does it, in our mind, convey who we are? Oh, wow, they're praying. They they must be Christian. But not just that, that the kind of, of public prayer that we pray, it's almost perhaps like a secret handshake. It identifies us as a particularly devout Christian. Now, I agree with the, the old statement that as long as there are tests in our schools, there will be prayer in our schools. But I am curious... Do our silent prayers in school count? Or do they have to be prayed in the commons area for them to be heard by God? Often often I've wondered and was convicted by a colleague of mine who would pull out the waitstaff at a restaurant and pray for them right there publicly. There's a part of me that thought, that's what it looks like to be faithful what a minister does pull somebody off the sidewalk pray with them right there until I began began to wonder especially after reading these passages if we're just using prayer as a public display of righteousness and then I wonder about prayers as rallies or on street corners Why are we doing those, I wonder? I must confess that the motive we have for these kinds of prayer feels like a show to prove how righteous we are. Look at us. We're praying. This is not the first time that Jesus has called our piety into question. Listen to what Jesus actually says about this. 
It's startling. From the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them. For then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. So whenever you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. I wonder, is this why people think that religious folk are intolerable to be around? Because we're so fast and quick to show off our righteousness? Look at what we do. Hear our prayers. Look at the cross around my neck. David Zoll has a particularly damning statement about our desire to, to prove how Christian we are in the world. He says, a culture dominated by outward demonstrations of piety will become an increasingly merciless place, full not only of self-justification, but self-consciousness and fear. It will be a place that crucifies rather than forgives. Tax collector's prayer couldn't be more different. <laughs> Tax collector, Jesus says, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He's doing this because he knows he's unworthy. He knows he's undeserving. He's distraught by what he has become. For we know and remember that tax collectors were pariah, to their people. They'd sold their own people out. They'd wished them dead, essentially, so that they could earn more for themselves by working with Rome to extort their own people. No one liked the tax collector. Here's the scandal in Jesus' story. The hero here is supposed to be the, the Pharisee, right? We know this, but Jesus turns the story on its head. It's the tax collector who Jesus heralds as exalted and justified because his heart is in the right place. This is what Jesus meant when he says, I've come to call not the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. This is not what we teach our children. This is not what you will find in the Christian area of the bookstore. That our prayer life should be in a closet, beating our chest, asking for God's mercy. Y'all, that's not going to sell. If these two characters in the story sound familiar, it's because they are or should be. They've already made an appearance in Jesus' ministry. The tax collector is the prodigal son 
Rax Collector is the prodigal son who wishes his father dead. He wants the money and he leaves to go and get what he wants at the expense of others. And the Pharisee? <laughs> you guessed it. He's the older brother. Oh, you remember the older brother. The one that was not okay with the tax cut. Excuse me. The prodigal coming back home. <laughs> In that parable, both sons, the prodigal and the older son, they both, as we learn, have a place in the father's house and the older brother can't stand it. Which is why he pouts outside while a party goes on because the one who was lost has come home. The older brother would prefer to have the father all to himself. They say that confession is good for the soul. <laughs> it just so happens that confession is good for your relationship with God. But remember, confession leads to repentance. That means to stop doing what you're doing and go in a different direction. And to do that, I have to contend with the reality of my heart. So I've got to genuinely wonder, y'all, why am I so driven to prove myself? Why is it that I've developed such an appetite to prove how eloquent I am? Or how righteous and faithful and Christian I am? I mean, I have God's blessing. I shouldn't always have to have my rightness on display, do I? Well, that is unless I'm insecure. I've also got to be honest about my motives. To use Jesus' language here, whose reward am I seeking? Y'all's or God's? The people in the community? People online or God's? What would it look like if followers of Jesus made prayer life to be intimate, sincere, and honest? I mean, think about it. What would it look like if prayer was as natural as conversation? Indistinguishable from normal discourse and dialogue so that when you are talking with a friend and they tell you about something that intercessory prayer doesn't look like stopping all the traffic being right there so everyone can see you and praying with such eloquence that God better the devil listen to your prayer but instead just naturally rolls out of your mouth with sincerity about your prayer and hope for the person who's hurting or a prayer that that leads with the truth that we are sinners all, that we're fully dependent on God's grace. I am the Reverend Dr. Jeff Mathis. I was ordained to the gospel ministry by the First Baptist Church of Asheville in 1999. For over 20 years, I have served congregations, and I must confess that I have used prayer as performance art. Guilty as charged. Let there be no mistake, I am the Pharisee in this story. How about you?
What's your confession? It's more than just good for your soul. Let us pray. With humility and conviction, God, we pray for your forgiveness that we have made your work a show with flashing lights and smoke machines. Forgive us, God, that we have wanted other people's approval more than we want yours. God, help our relationship with you look like the prodigal who is always coming home to a God that, that we don't deserve and yet that runs to us and welcomes us brings us back to the table of fellowship and throws a party because we've recognized that we have been wrong. Begrudgingly, God, we know why you've done this. For we know that when we see ourselves as sinners, we're willing to see one another seated across from us, those who are not nearly as pious as we are. For when we are humble, we see each and every one of us around us as your children deserving of your love and grace. Thank you for loving us, God, and welcoming us back each time we go astray, which happens to be every day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.